Today's message isn't part of any series. Uh, Kurt said, hey, just speak on whatever you'd like. And I thought, you know, I'm going to speak on something I'm thankful for, and, and that's adoption. I'm thankful uh, for, for both my children. I'm thankful for my son Jonas, who we adopted a little over two years ago. But more importantly, uh, I am thankful for my adoption into the family of Christ. That's a big deal to me. Uh, many of you know that, that my wife and I adopted Jonas, and, and I'm going to share a little bit about that story. But my focus this morning, uh, my focus this morning, what I really want to talk about is our adoption story as Christians, the Christian adoption story. In fact, if you take a look at the introduction on your outline, <clears throat> it says this. In fact, Chris, could you, could you grab my water for me? Thanks, buddy. The introduction says this. Every Christian, every Christian is part of a beautiful story of adoption. Today we'll examine this story chapter by chapter and discuss how we can play a role in the adoption of others. I've been fighting the, the plague. I have two two-year-olds at home, and um, I like to call them my two little Petri dishes. <laughs> they get it for a day, and I get it for two weeks. So, <clears throat> so let's take a look at today's scripture, which is in Ephesians 1, 3, to 8, uh, 3 through 8. And uh, I love this passage. I think this is one of the most beautiful passages in all of scripture. So let's read this. Verse 3. Praise be to, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Let's pray. What a beautiful, what a beautiful word from you, Lord. We were chosen. You adopted us, Lord, your church. And I would just pray, Father, that... Um, that my words this morning would be your words. I pray that, uh, that we would be blessed with your spirit of adoption, that we would awaken to that and bless others through it. I ask that in your blessed name, Jesus. Amen. I'm just, you don't need to raise your hands or anything. I'm just going to ask that a few of you will just <clears throat> pray for my voice this morning. I'd appreciate that. Thanks. Um, if I were writing a book, if I were going to write a book based on this passage, based on maybe the title of a book called Our Story of Adoption or The Christian Story of Adoption, I think I'd call the first chapter A Father's Love. A Father's Love. And that's uh, number one or the first point in your outline. The first chapter in your outline. Verse 5. In love, he predestined us. He planned beforehand. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. You guys, God's love for us is huge. It's so big that he wanted to ensure that each of us would have an opportunity to be with him forever. So he sealed an eternal guarantee to his church, to his body. And this is an important point, you guys. God predestines the church, not individuals. He doesn't go around and go, eeny, meeny, miny, you're into heaven, eeny, meeny, miny, you're not in heaven. He doesn't do that. 
He's predestining the church. He gave his church the ultimate guarantee. And when you become part of his church, you just don't get some ticket to heaven or become part of some sort of fan club. You get papers of adoption. And those papers aren't going to say good for one admission into eternity or into heaven. They're going to say this is a child of God, a member of God's family, an heir to the kingdom of the kingdom of heaven. You see, when we get to heaven, we're not just going to walk on the streets of gold. We're going to own them. We're going to own them. And God, it's important, it's important to note that God wants all to partake in this guarantee. Listen to what Peter wrote. He said, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He wants everyone to turn to him and choose him. God's arms are open wide and whoever comes will be welcomed into his family and adopted as his own child. That's what this passage is saying. Let me try to paint a little, maybe a little clearer picture for you. When Heather and I made the choice to adopt, we held our arms open wide. We did that. We held our own arms open wide. And in a sense, far beforehand, we made a plan. We predetermined, we predetermined that any child that was placed in those arms would be our child for the rest of their lives. Whoever gets placed in these arms becomes part of our family, and they come home with us. The moment Jonas, at, at 24 hours old, at 24 hours old, the moment he was placed in our arms, he became part of our predetermined plan for him to be an Alquist for the rest of his life. And what a blessing that has been. Adoption is a special demonstration of our Father's love. His arms are open wide, and if you walk into, into those arms, if you choose God, if you choose Jesus, you become part of his family, and you get adopted as his son or daughter forever. But love goes beyond uh, just emotions and, and feelings. It also has to do with a choice. It has to do with a choice. A choice to do what is best for another, uh, another person. So if I was writing this book, I think chapter 2 would be called A Father's Choice. A Father's Choice. Verse 4, He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Take another drink here. Think about, think about what's behind that statement, He chose us. He chose us. In fact, I want to give you a few examples of what it means to be in Christ. Uh, Scripture tells us that when we're in Christ, when we've accepted that gift that Christ has offered us, that we are actually filled with abundant life. Do you know what says that? It says that there's a river of life that flows out of us. It says that we're set free from sin and death. It says that we're a new creature, a new creation. Think about what that means. God chose to do all that despite our personal choices, despite our huge sin, despite our mistakes, despite the behaviors that really hurt God and hurt him emotionally. And I know that a lot of you are thinking, now, wait a minute. God's not some overly wounded guy up in heaven, is he? (laughs) 
He's not, he's not sitting up having to do that. A lot of us have this picture of God rocking on a chair just going, Oh, aren't those humans cute? You just tweak his toe, crushed his head. But I'm the potter. I'll just remold it. There we go. Off you go. A cute little kid. A lot of us view God like that. He's just there to fix our problems. You know, he's this tame God. You know, in Genesis 6, this is an amazing passage. God is looking down at the earth and he sees the earth populated with people who have just committed themselves to evil. And this is what God says. Verse 6 in Genesis 6. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. That's our God. His heart was filled with pain because of the evil we were choosing to do. In Ephesians, it tells us that at some point in God's existence, he made a choice. A choice to do what was best for us. A choice to do what was best for us, despite the hurt that it would cause him. He made a choice. Heather and I had to make a choice. We, uh, when we first started the adoption process, we had to make a choice between two types of adoption. And if you've looked into this at all, uh, there's basically two choices. One is a closed adoption, and one is an open adoption. We wanted a closed adoption. Let me tell you why. We didn't want anyone else trying to parent our child. And we felt strong about that. We are like, we're not going to do some, you know. We weren't going to do that. We were not going to have an open adoption. Well, about two months into the process, guess what happened? Someone contacted us who wanted an open adoption. And we had to revisit this. So we started doing some research on it. And guess what? We found, we found that in, the, in open adoptions, it's actually better for the adopted child later in life uh, because of closure issues and attachment uh, uh, issues and concerns that that child might have. It's actually healthier for them to know who their birth parent was, or even both of them, their birth mom and their birth dad. It's actually healthier. So Heather and I had to choose whether or not to adopt Jonas because it, it wasn't a, 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 an open adoption. And, and inside, we didn't want That was a hard choice. We didn't, we weren't, we, this did not feel good. But we made that choice anyways. We have some friends that adopted two of their three children from Russia. And uh, they had to make two separate trips for each of these children. And when they went to go get their second child, um, they went to Russia and it, after a big, long uh, uh, wait to finally get their daughter. And they got there and they, they signed off. And, and there's a little bit of a waiting period, I think 12 or 24 hours or something, before they leave where they can revoke their, their choice and whatnot. And the whole time, their daughter cried and screamed at them. I mean, the, it, every hour. And they were to the point where they were calling back to the state saying, hey, pray for us because we don't want to really bring her home. But you know what? They did. They chose what was best for this little girl. They chose to give this little girl a mommy and a daddy and a place to call home despite the pain she was causing them the first day they had her. Despite the pain. You guys, God didn't have to choose us. He didn't. Nobody was up in heaven twisting his arm. He didn't have to bless us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. But he chose to. And that choice came at a cost. The third chapter in this story might be called uh, chapter 3, a father's 
sacrifice. A father's sacrifice. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Think about this. In order for our adoption to take place, God had to sacrifice his son, right? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the walking into God's arms part. That's the gift in Romans 6.23. That's the gift that God is offering us. See, the thing we deserved for our sin was death, and, and God went to the cross for us. He went to the cross for us. Our friends who went to, uh, to Russia, man, they, it is really interesting to hear their story for both their children. Their story is, is filled with court battles, many of which happened in Europe. Um, they had several different flights going back and forth from Europe. They filled out uh, tons and tons of paperwork to adopt these children. And many, uh, much of that paperwork was being lost by the nation that was sponsoring the adoption. They had several unexpected fees. And at one point, the, the sponsoring country had to hunt down the birth mother and uh, actually get her to sign a release that wasn't signed a couple years before when the child was born. So they had to go do that. And once that happened, they had to start the whole process over again. Same paperwork, same fees, started all over again. Delay after delay. Waiting games that were not fun for them to play. We would sit in our life group with them and watch them cry over this process because it was draining them and costing them almost everything. The financial sacrifice was even huge. And you know what? Those two kids are beautiful and they're growing up. They love their mom and their dad. Their mom and their dad love them. But I don't know if they'll really understand their parents' sacrifice. I don't know if they'll really get it. Because all they know right now is, hey, mommy and daddy love us. They love us. But their parents had to go through a lot to adopt them, to call them their own. To have an opportunity to love them, to give them a home. And they didn't have to do all that. But they did. They sacrificed in order to provide what was needed to give a child a mom and a dad and a place to call home. All too often, I don't think we understand or try to understand the sacrifice that God made for us. Scripture tells us again that the things we earned for our sins was death. So God said, okay, I'll take the punishment. I'll pay the cost. I'll go to the cross. And by his wounds, we were healed. Amen? Again, this wasn't something God had to do. He sacrificed in order to provide what was needed. Forgiveness, a family, and a place to call home. That's a neat part of our adoption story. But God went even further. 
he gave us his name. And I think I'd call, uh, I think I'd call chapter four our dad's name. You see, we get our dad's name. He gave us his name. Galatians 4, 6 through 7 says this. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. And that's a really interesting uh, word. It's actually uh, left in the Arabic writing because there's no way to translate a more intimate meaning. In English, it just means daddy, daddy. In verse 7, so it says, So you are no longer a slave, a slave to sin, but a son, but a daughter. And since you are sons and daughters, God has also made you an heir. We have a, the Alpha Course meets on Sunday nights. And we're starting that up again, by the way, in February, I think. And uh, if you haven't had a chance to take it, it's awesome. We've had a blast. And uh, I encourage you, I think there's 40 or 50 of us that went through it. It is so much food. Uh, Well, there is so much food. But if you're like me, your hunger drive's been wiped out for two days. So, (laughs) but yeah, there there is good food. You don't go there and get tater tot casserole. I'll tell you that much. You get the on paper plate. You get the real McCoy. I mean, it's it's a great setup. But uh, we listen to these DVDs by Nicky Gumbel, and he is a British teacher in England. And a great teacher. And we listened to these DVDs. And, and he brought up uh, this point just a couple weeks ago. He said this. He said, Prince Charles is known by many titles. He's the Prince of Wales, the Earl of Chester, the Duke of Cornwall, the Duke of Rothsay, the Earl of, of Carrick, the Baron of Renfro, the Knight of the Garter. I don't even know what that is. Uh, <laughs> the Knight of the Thistle. The Lord of the Isles and the Prince and Great Steward over Scotland. <laughs> but you know what? To his sons, William and Harry, he's daddy. He's daddy. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 2.22 that when we accepted Christ, God put his seal of ownership on us. He put his spirit in and on our hearts. He put his name. You know, it's a, it, whenever it says seal, usually in scripture, it meant a signature ring. You know, they'd have a signature ring they wore and they'd heat up wax and they'd seal letters with these signature rings. And, and on it would be their signature saying that this letter is for me or this letter belongs to me or this item belongs to me. And sometimes it was an inscription. In fact, there's a part of the Song of Solomon's that says, uh, put your seal, burn your seal on my heart. Put your name, burn your name on my heart. It also says that in scripture. He's our daddy. He's our perfect loving father. And he's written his name on our heart, in our spirit. So when we go to him, we can be confident. We can be confident that he'll hear us. Because we are his child. The author of Hebrews wrote this. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He's our dad and he's there when we need him. I don't know if uh, any of you uh, remember Noel Campbell. If you if you were part of the church plant, uh, we came up from Life Center almost three years ago. And Noel Campbell uh, is on staff down there, and he told me a, a great story once. I mean, this is a guy who understands what it means to be there 
for your children. He is a, a grandfather now of, of many, I'm sure, because uh, I think he has seven children. Uh, I think that's right, six or seven kids. And it, it, he, he's an interesting guy, so loving. He's kind of like Yoda. He's like a Christian Yoda. He's just wise in the way. <laughs> Big ears and everything. It's great. But he's... <laughs> Noel, if you, if you heard that, sorry, buddy. <laughs> that's okay. I don't work for your son-in-law anymore. So, um, Hey... But he told me this great story. Uh, he, he said, you know, years ago, when he was in his mid-30s, his, his wife had died of cancer. And he never remarried, and he was raising all of his children by himself. And as you can imagine, he worked full-time, I think, as a pharmacist. He worked full-time job. He had all these kids, and he was trying to spend time with them, you know, help them in their sports, help them with, with school, be a daddy and a mommy at the same time. And it was a big job. Well, he told me once that his, his youngest child at the time, who I think was in sixth grade or so, fifth or sixth grade, was just going through a hard time. And, and basically, in his own words, came up, to him and said, came up to Noel and said, Daddy, I really need you. I need to hang with you. And so Noel literally had to, to schedule in time with this one son because he had so many kids. Right, So a couple weeks, he had to plan a couple weeks ahead, and his plan was something like this. He was going to go out and, and, and spend the late afternoon with his son just playing catch with him and hanging out. Then they were going to go, a, go to a baseball game together and just have a blast and just have a wonderful time. And then, that, then he'd have time with his son to, to hear him out and, and just that one-on-one special father-son time and, and uh, just see how his little boy was doing. Well, that evening... Noel's out there uh, getting his son ready. They're getting their baseball gloves. They're ready to go out. And Noel gets a phone call from one of the church elders at his church from 30 years ago or so. And this elder said, now Noel was known as just, again, this wise, loving elder in his church. And this church leader called him and said, Noel, my marriage is just blown up. My wife is standing here screaming at me telling me that she's going to kill herself. We need you to come over right now. And Noel said, just a minute. And he put his phone down, he said a little prayer, took a deep breath, and he picked up that receiver with this man crying on the other side, begging for his help. And he said, you know what? I can't come over. I need to play catch with my son and take him to a baseball game. And he said, Brian, you know, an interesting, an interesting thing happened when I said that. It spoke into the lives of that couple because they realized that their priorities for one another and their kids were a total mess. And the fact that Noel said, no, I'm here first for my child, blessed them. She didn't run out and kill herself. They went out and got help for their marriage. God's the same way. He understands the importance of being there for his children. He gets that. And we can approach him at any time. So go to God in your time of need, whatever it is. Go to him. You're his child. He's given you his seal. He's put his name in your heart. You're his. You're his. The final and and most important chapter that we can learn 
from, I think, is chapter 5, and that's this, is our dad's heart. You see, with his spirit, (coughs) we also get his heart. We get our daddy's heart. It's great whenever I cough, everybody else feels free to cough. (laughs) It's like in stereo. Right across the terrain. Get it out. Um, I love it when when Paul writes in in his epistles. It's so cool. He understood that, that God sent his Holy Spirit to live within us, to live within our hearts. And understanding that, Paul wrote this in Philippians 2, 3. He said, do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. John wrote this. He said, we love because he, that is God, first loved us. Again, in Philippians, Paul wrote, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. It's a powerful passage. Everybody else looks out for themselves. Not Christians. Not us Christians. And again, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, he said, for, for Christ's love compels us. It compels us. Our love for Christ compels us to love God and to love others, to love people. So we have a spirit of adoption that's been placed in our hearts. Have you ever thought about that? We have a spirit of adoption given to us by the Holy Spirit. And there's lots of ways we can express that. I mean, we have this message of reconciliation. God wants us to go out and share our faith with other people so that they can come to know Jesus and get adopted into that family and spend eternity in heaven. That's God's. We just read earlier. That's God's heart. He wants us to go out and in whatever way share that, me- that message, the, the good news, that message of reconciliation. And despite there being lots of ways of sharing Christ with the world, I think nothing, nothing awakens our awareness of of this spirit of adoption living inside of us like seeing or witnessing children who are in need. Nothing wakes that up when you see a child suffering. I remember uh, years ago, I actually have a bachelor of science in nursing and I was in nursing school and we had to do a rotation. We had to do a rotation um, in a transitional unit for dying children. And I tell you, it was one of the hardest things I ever did was hold little children in my arms that I knew the next day wouldn't be there. And it just awoke this, uh, this pain in my heart to just see children healed and touched and helped in some way, in some way. Dr. Thorsten Moritz is a seminary professor at Bethel University in Minnesota, and I went to Bethel for my schooling. And he, he told a great story once. I just loved it. He is a German, and he actually was uh, born, raised, and educated in Germany, although he teaches in Minnesota now. And he has adopted several children. He and his wife have adopted several children. <clears throat> and he told a story once of when he was back in Europe, uh, working and living in Europe, when one of his students called him from Romania and he said, hey, uh, uh, I do a Romanian accent, but I don't know how to do it. So um, <laughs> he said, uh, hey, Doc, I, I, have, I, have, I have some good news for you. I got a job and I'm heading up. I'm a director of an orphanage in Romania. And this was around 1990 or 91. 
And I'm sure that some of you remember all the horror stories that came out of there. Good people trying to do what they could for a huge number of children, a huge number of orphans in Romania. So he took this job down there, and, uh, and he said, I'd like, to, I'd like you to come down and see the children, because he knew he was, Dr. Moritz was, was adopting a lot of kids and stuff. And so this doctor packed up, he got on a train, and took a train from Germany to Romania, and he went through, I guess, Carpathia, Romania, which is this big kind of majestic part of the city or, or country that has these huge castles and just this beautiful, beautiful countryside. And he, and he um, got a ride over to the, the orphanage and he started to tour the orphanage. And he went around and, and saw uh, all the, the good things that they were trying to do for these kids, but they were totally outnumbered. There was like one caregiver for maybe 20 or 30 newborns. Um, it just the place was just packed full of children. And uh, he went around and looked at all these different rooms, and he came across this one room. <clears throat> and in the room, uh, I picture it kind of like a big, like maybe a big old uh, ballet room, if you can get the, that picture in your head. Just a large room, maybe a couple thousand square feet with big windows. And in this room, there was, it was pretty quiet, but it was filled with children, maybe three to six years of age. And each of these kids were all doing something different and sort of weird. Some of them were just standing and rocking, rubbing their hands together. Some of them would be in a corner just tapping their head against the wall. Some of them would pace or just go in circles. You can picture kids doing that. Some of them would just sit and and make the same sound. And he looked to his student and he said, what's going on with these kids? What's wrong with these kids? And and his student, this, this brand new director, said something really interesting to him. <laughs> Trying to say it. <laughs> he, looked, he looked to this professor and he said, these children are dancing the dance of pathology. They're dancing the dance of sickness. And he said this, he said, some dance to remember, others dance to forget. Two things crossed my mind when I heard that story. One was, I was, I was just amazed. Uh, what loneliness. Well, let me phrase this differently. I was amazed at the damage that loneliness can cause from birth on when you're not held as a baby, when you're not cared for uh, as a toddler. That's what was wrong with these children. They have never been loved. They had never been cared. They have never connected uh, they never had a mommy or a daddy or a family. The second thing that went through my mind is, hey, man, he quoted Hotel California. Uh, some dance to remember, some dance to forget. Man, stories like that, can you feel them in here when you hear that? You feel it? Or, or at least maybe if you're a thinker, do you go, man, something's got to be done. That ain't right. We've got to fix that. That's our Father's heart. Do you see? Nothing wakes it up like seeing children that are suffering. That's the spirit of adoption that our Father has put in each of us that know Christ. It's a powerful thing, but the question is, what do we do? It's pretty overwhelming. There's literally millions and millions of children out there. Well, here's my thought. Let that adoptive spirit Wake up inside of you. The Father gave us that for a reason. Let it wake up. Let it wake up. 
Don't resist your father's heart of adoption. Let's get involved. Let's do something about the world's children. As overwhelming as it seems, I think, and this is just my opinion, but I think the place to start, the place to begin, really is with the children of our world. And you guys, if we won't have a heart for little kids, if we won't have a heart for little kids, how will we ever have a heart for adults? How are we going to do that? Carol Bellamy, who's the executive director for UNICEF, said this. She said, The quality of a child's life depends on decisions made every day in households, communities, and in the halls of government. We must make those choices wisely and with children's best interests in mind. I don't really have an opinion about UNICEF, but it seems to me like she was just quoting what Paul said in Philippians 2. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I want to give you four ways that we can play a part in caring for the world's children. Four ways, and you can just write these down anywhere on your outline. Uh, what are some ways that we can look out for their best interests? First of all, <clears throat> you can support organizations like Compassion International. Uh, once a year, I think Joe and, and Betsy, our, our worship leaders, they actually organize that. And you can sign up. I think it's 20 or $30 a month for a child. And I think and what you do is you pay for that kid to go to school for 18 years or 13 years. And they get educated and they have a chance in a third world country to make something of themselves. And what's so powerful about that is you get a picture of this kid and you get to write letters to him. And it's so beautiful. It's so impactful. And I tell you, one way you can wake up your father's heart Uh, for adoption is to have that picture of a child that you are blessing on your fridge. It's powerful. It's life-changing. And it's our Father's heart. The second way we can do that is we can serve children in multiple ways. We can serve through our kids' ministries, through our uh, junior high and senior high ministries, or through organizations like Big Brother or Big Sister. And and I really mean, you just need to check this out and, and invest in those children because they need you. They need family. They need people who will show up and give their best, not their leftovers, in all those ministries, in all those organizations. So that's another way you can serve, is is through some sort of ministry or organization. And number three is my personal favorite. And if you haven't been tuning in, I want you to tune in now. (laughs) Share your father's spirit of adoption and give a child a home. Give a child a home. A home. Become a child's mom and dad. Adopt a child. I want to encourage you to take the next step to contact an agency. Maybe some of you have been chewing on this for a while. You're thinking, man, should we adopt? Should we do these other things? Share your father's heart of adoption. And uh, I recommend Bethany Services. That's who Heather and I went through. And one of the reasons I love Bethany is they a lot of the money that you pay for the adoption goes into the counseling during the um, pregnancy period of the birth mother and the birth dad. They get Christian counseling during those nine months. And the, those counselors invest in their lives. So it's money well spent. And uh, I just want to really encourage you to check out Bethany if you're thinking of adopting. Um, call me. My wife Heather and I would love to sit down uh, with you and just tell you more about our story of adopting Jonas because it's one of my favorite stories. I love it. 
So uh, give me a call. Call me here at the church. Ask for Brian. I'd love to set up a time to have coffee or some dinner. Just let me know. Well, here's a fourth way. If you're sitting out there and you're thinking, well, you know, my time for adopting a child is over. You know, I'm retired or whatever. I ain't going to do that. Um, how about this? And you're going to love this one. Why don't you pay for someone to adopt a child? Uh, I don't know everyone out there, but I bet some of you are pretty loaded. And... Uh, <laughs> And who knows, maybe you spend 10, 15 grand a year on lattes. I have no, I don't know. But I want to encourage you. I want to really encourage you to think about paying for adoption. In fact, I was sitting in my office this morning, and you know what my prayer was? My prayer was at both services, that I'd have one couple that would come up and contact the church and say, you know what, we're going to do it. We're going to adopt a baby. We're going to do it. But we don't have the money. We don't have it. And that I would get uh, hear from a, another person or a couple to say, you know what, we've got the money, we can't adopt children, but we'll pay for it. That's my prayer at each service, to get those four phone calls. That's my heart. So say yes to those things. In our world, <clears throat> in our world, AIDS alone has created 15 million orphans. Just the AIDS virus has caused that sickness. In the U.S., uh, we adopt 120,000 children a year, and you know what? That's awesome. That is so cool. We have 1.2 million children living on our streets. I think over 1,000 in Spokane, statistically. Tens of millions of children around the world are in need of help in need of parents. And the truth is, in our culture, the wealthy United States, I guess we could wait. We don't feel it as much. We don't see it as much, maybe on TV from time to time. So that spirit of adoption gets kind of numb, gets kind of quieted. We can wait, but those children can't. They can't wait anymore. They can't. So if you've been wrestling with this, please stop. And make a choice to have your father's heart. Because some of those kids, (laughs) some of those kids are going to start dancing that dance of sickness, dancing that dance of pathology. Some will dance to remember, some are going to dance to forget. As Christian, You have your father's heart. You do. He gave you his heart. Listen to it. Embrace it. Have the courage to ask him how you can express his spirit of adoption, a beautiful spirit that he's given you. In fact, let's stand together. Let's do that. As Christians, as followers of Christ, We talked about five parts of our story of adoption. The first part being a father's love. And and, uh, we're not done yet, by the way. Okay? Stick around. We talked about our father's love, his big plans for each of us. We talked about our father's choice. He does what's best for us. We talked about his sacrifice, how he gave his only son for us. We talked about how as Christians we got his name. He put his name, that seal, on our hearts. And we talked about how we got his heart. 
He puts His heart in our heart. He gave us a spirit of adoption.